This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. In this edition today, our Bulletin of Church News, today we shall close with a segment dedicated to the family. My name is Kanyanta Godfrey Kampamba. Pope Francis prayed the midday Angelus on Sunday, during which he reflected on the gospel reading of the day, taken from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 10, which recounts of the transfiguration of Jesus in the presence of three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on a high mountain. The Pope gave the faithful a panoramic view of the scenario in the Gospel reading before suggesting some good Lenten resolutions, inviting them to open themselves to the light of Jesus and to never let anything divert their glance from it. Deborah Lubav has this report. Let's open ourselves to the light of Jesus and let's never be diverted from his light. This was the invitation Pope Francis gave the faithful today at noon during his weekly Angelus Address. In his remarks this second Sunday of Lent, the Pope recalled the day's gospel reading according to St. Mark, which tells of the transfiguration. Il Vangelo di questa seconda domenica di Quaresima ci presenta l'episodio della trasfigurazione di Gesù. When the disciples see the Lord in all his glory on the high mountain, they understand the unique light that is Jesus. La predicazione del regno, il perdono dei peccati, la guarigione e i segni compiuti erano infatti scintille di una luce più grande, la luce di Gesù, la luce che è Gesù. The disciples were to never again divert their eyes, especially in moments of trial, the Pope said, saying the same applies to everyone today. The message, he insisted, is never divert your eyes from the light of Jesus. The Pope compared this act to what farmers used to do in the past when plowing fields, focusing their gaze on a specific point ahead of them, keeping their eyes fixed on the goal to trace straight furrows. Un po' come facevano in passato i contadini, che arando i campi focalizzavano lo sguardo su un punto preciso davanti a sé e tenendo gli occhi fissi sulla meta tracciavano solchi diretti. This is what we Christians are called to do in the journey of life, he said. Always keep before our eyes the radiant face of Christ, who is love and endless life, who always accompanies us. To help us do this, the Pope encouraged regular prayer, listening to the Lord's Word and the sacraments, especially confession and the Eucharist. But it also helps us, he said, to look people in the eye, learning to see God's light in everyone. Questo siamo chiamati a fare noi, cristiani, nel cammino della vita, tenere sempre davanti agli occhi il volto luminoso di Gesù, non staccare mai the Pope went on to offer a Lenten resolution to faithful, namely to open our gaze, to become seekers of light, seekers of the light of Jesus in prayer and in people. 
Pope Francis urged the faithful to join him in asking themselves some key questions. E allora chiediamoci, nel mio cammino, tengo gli occhi fissi su Cristo che mi accompagna? E per farlo, do spazio al silenzio, alla preghiera, all'adorazione? Infine, vado in cerca di ogni piccolo raggio della luce di Gesù che si riflette in me e in ogni fratello e sorella che incontro? In my journey, do I keep my eyes fixed on Christ who accompanies me? And to do this, do I make room for silence, prayer, and adoration? In addition, he said we ought to examine, do I seek out every little ray of Jesus' light which is reflected in me and every brother and sister I encounter? And do I remember to thank him for this? Pope Francis concluded by praying that Mary, radiant with the light of God, help us to keep our gaze fixed on Jesus and to look at each other with trust and love. Maria, splendente della luce di Gesù, ci aiuti a tenere fisso lo sguardo su Gesù e a guardarci a vicenda con fiducia e amore. Angelo Domini, non siamo Maria. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubav. At the end of the Angelus on Sunday, the Holy Father expressed his special concern for the realities on the ground in war-torn countries, especially mentioning the Ukraine war, the Gaza crisis, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. He began by reminding everyone present that Sunday, February 24th, with great sorrow, marked the second anniversary of the beginning of the large-scale war in Ukraine and went on to speak of the many victims and injured people wanton destruction, anguish, and tears in what he called a period that is becoming terribly long and whose end cannot yet be seen. It is a war that is not only devastating that region of Europe, but which is unleashing a global wave of fear and hatred, lamented the Pope, adding that he was earnestly pleading that the little humanity needed to create the conditions for a diplomatic solution in seeking for a just and lasting peace be sought. His thoughts then turned to the Israeli-Palestinian war and invited the faithful not to forget to pray for Palestine, for Israel, and for the many peoples torn apart by war and to concretely help those who suffer. Let us think of the huge amount of suffering, the wounded and innocent children, he said. After this, his gaze moved to the Democratic Republic of the Congo and said he was following the increase in violence in the eastern part of the country. I joined the bishop's call to pray for peace, hoping that the clashes may cease and that a sincere and constructive dialogue may be sought, said the Holy Father, before expressing his closeness to the people of Nigeria suffering recurrent abductions. The increasingly frequent kidnappings in Nigeria are extremely concerning, he said. I express my closeness in prayer to the Nigerian people, hoping that efforts will be made to contain the spread of these incidents as much as possible. He also expressed his concern about the effect of the reality of climate change, which he said is impacting a lot of people. He specifically cited Mongolia and said he was also close to the population of that nation, who are affected by a wave of intense cold, which is causing serious humanitarian consequences. The climate crisis is a global social problem that deeply affects the lives of many brothers and sisters, especially the life of the most vulnerable. 
let us pray to be able to make wise and courageous choices in order to contribute to the care of creation, concluded the Holy Father. Following a chain of personal greetings, Pope Francis concluded the Angelus with his traditional salutations. A tutti auro una buona domenica. Per favore, non dimenticatevi di pregare per me. Buon pranzo e arrivederci. I wish you all a good Sunday. Please do not forget to pray for me. Enjoy your lunch and arrivederci. Archbishop Andrew Fanyankea of Bamenda Archdiocese in Cameroon has expressed his solidarity with persons affected by the fire disaster that raised hundreds of shops at the central market in his metropolitan city. In a statement issued at the weekend, Archbishop Punkia says it is with deep concern that he learned of the horrendous fire disaster that ravaged close to 300 shops at the Bamenda Central Market on the evening of Thursday, 22nd February 2024. He goes on to lament the fact that the disaster has left many families and the entire population of Bamenda and beyond in pain and desperation. My dear people, he says, we are faced with a similar situation like Job, with many questions in our minds, wondering why such things should happen, especially at this moment, when we are still being tormented by the crisis plaguing the northwest and the southwest regions of Cameroon, Archbishop Unkea says. The Archbishop of Bamenda, who doubles as the President of the National Episcopal Conference of Cameroon, continues saying, Job trusted in God in faith, and God restored his condition. In our frustrations, our pain and uncertainties, we are called to unite all these with the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ, especially given the fact that we are currently observing the Lenten period in the church. On February 22nd, over 300 shops were raised to ashes after fire broke out at the Bamenda main market in the northwest region of Cameroon. According to the state media, the Cameroon radio television, the source of the fire which broke out at 5 p.m. is yet to be established. The annual general meeting of the Southern African Catholic Council for Laity concluded on Sunday in South Africa. The Bishops' Conference of Southern Africa comprises South Africa, Botswana and Eswatini, formerly Swaziland, the 23rd to 25th February gathering had as its theme the living, the bread and the salt bringing the laity together for the collaborative ministry with the clergy and was hosted at the Lumuko Center in the Benoni Gauteng province of South Africa. The representatives from 29 dioceses who attended the meeting gave reports to the executive committee about their work in their respective dioceses, while at the same time they familiarized themselves with the roles and responsibilities of the Council for Laity according to the Council's revised constitution. Bishop Noel Andrew Castle is the bishop of the South African Diocese of Utsion, and he also doubles as the liaison bishop for the family, marriage and family life. Bishop Noel Russell also attended the three-day annual general meeting of the Southern African Catholic Council for Laity. On the sidelines of the meeting, Bishop Russell spoke to Sheila Pirish about the Southern African Catholic Council for Laity. 
So Bishop Noel, thank you so much for talking to us right here on Vatican News. I'm just going to ask you to quickly describe for us uh, this AGM. I know you've already started. What have you highlighted so far and what are the key points or the priorities uh, of this AGM? Well, I think it's important for us to go back to last year, 2023, where after a lot of toing and froing, we finally agreed on the constitution for the Laity Council, and that is where our primary focus has been last night by means of introductory remarks, and today we'll focus more specifically on the various dioceses and to how they've implemented the constitution and, of course, the way forward. Liaison Bishop for the Family Marriage and Family Life, Bishop Noel Rakaso, talking to Communications Office of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of Southern Africa, Sheila Piresh. South Africa's Governing African National Congress, ANC, on Sunday launched its manifesto for the May elections, in which some polls suggest its share of the vote could fall below 50% for the first time. President Cyril Ramaphosa addressed thousands of supporters at a rally in KwaZulu-Natal province, which analysts say will be a key battleground. Dissatisfaction with the state of the economy, public services and corruption has eaten away at ANC support. The part of Nelson Mandela who led the struggle against the racist apartheid system and oversaw the transition to democracy in 1994 has been the dominant force for the last 30 years. But stubbornly high unemployment, which now stands at more than 32%, frequent power cuts and high crime levels, among other issues, have led some to turn away from the African National Congress. There are challenges coming from the right in the form of the main opposition Democratic Alliance and the more radical left with economic freedom fighters. You are tuned to the Daily Africa service of Vatican Radio. And now our feature, family. Church in Africa as a family of God. Its people, challenges, values and hopes. My name is Father Paul Samasumo with your program, Family. Artificial intelligence, AI, is rapidly becoming a powerful tool across the world. It is a tool that has the potential to transform economies and how the world's financial sector operates. Artificial intelligence also has the potential, for example, to improve healthcare services. However, already there are concerns and worries about the power of AI. To refresh your minds, ethics is concerned with principles of what is right and wrong conduct, while policy matters have to do with setting rules and regulations that will govern the usage of artificial intelligence, in this case in our countries or in Africa. Both ethics and policy matters will be important in ensuring that AI technologies are deployed on the African continent in ways that are fair, transparent, and accountable. To talk to us about artificial intelligence, I've invited an expert, Nigerian-based Congolese priest, Father Joel Nkongolo. He's a clarion priest 
and an information and technology expert. Father Joe, welcome. Now, to many of us, this all sounds very complicated and sophisticated. What exactly is artificial intelligence? All right, Father Paul. Artificial intelligence, we can say, encompasses a wide range of technology and techniques that enables machines to mimic human cognitive functions. Machine learning, a subset of AI, allows systems to learn from data without being explicitly programmed. For example, recommendation algorithm used by streaming platforms like Netflix uh, can analyze users' viewing history to suggest relevant content. Computer vision technology, another aspect of AI, powers facial recognition systems used in security and authentication applications. I think this could explain a little bit what is artificial intelligence. Should we be worried and afraid of artificial intelligence? Well, while AI offers numerous benefits such as improved efficiency, productivity, and innovation, it also raises legitimate concerns. One concern is job displacement, as automation could replace certain tasks traditionally performed by humans. For instance, a study by the McKinsey Global Institute suggests that up to 800 million jobs could be automated by 2030. Additionally, there are ethical concerns surrounding AI, such as algorithmic bias, which can perpetuate discrimination and inequality. For example, facial recognition systems have been found to exhibit higher error rates for people with darker skin tones, leading to unfair treatment in areas like law enforcement. We know that Africa's journey towards embracing artificial intelligence seemed rather slow. Is this a good or a bad thing? Compared to other regions, Africa's adoption of AI has been relatively slow, attributed to factors such as limited infrastructures, digital literacy, and funding. However, this cautious approach can also be viewed as an opportunity to address underlying challenges and prioritize um, ethical considerations. For example, Ghana recently established two AI centers to develop AI capabilities while ensuring ethical AI deployment. By taking a deliberate approach, African countries can tailor an AI solution to address local needs and minimize potential negative impacts. How would you see artificial intelligence affecting or impacting the church in Africa? Should the church in Africa be worried about the rise and rise of artificial intelligence? Yes, AI can enhance various aspects of church operations, such as automating administrative tasks, analyzing congregation demographics for targeted outreach, and providing personalized spiritual guidance through chatbots. However, the ethical considerations such as ensuring data privacy and maintaining human connection amid technological advancements. For example, the Church of England utilizes AI-powered chatbots to engage with 
congregants online offering pastoral support and prayer. Why AI can augment the church's outreach efforts? It's essential to maintain human oversight and uphold uh, ethical standards in its issue. Father Joe, in Africa, they're still struggling with distinguishing credible news from fake news. Maybe not only in Africa. And then there is social media, which is now seen as a hostile environment. And there is the polarization that comes with it. What can the church do to influence ethical behavior and good social media conduct? I think, Father Paul, the church can leverage its moral authority to promote ethical behavior and responsible social media use. For instance, Pope Francis has spoken out against the spread of fake news and polarization of social on social media, emphasizing the importance of truth and dialogue. Additionally, you can add other initiatives, initiatives like digital Catholicism. This initiative involves leveraging online media technologies as tools for evangelization while simultaneously spreading the message of faith in cyberspace itself. So, by modeling ethical behavior and offering guidance on digital citizenship, the church can foster a culture of respect, empathy, and truthfulness in online interactions. Already Africa's young are glued, for example, to the app TikTok. How can parents, guardians, teachers, maybe priests or pastors ensure that our young people do not become enslaved to these technologies or apps? I believe that adults play a crucial role in guiding young people's use of technology and promoting healthy digital habits. For example, parents and teachers can educate children about the risks of excessive screen time and the importance of balance in their online and offline activities. It is very, very important. They can also set limits on device usage, encourage also outdoor play. Children should play outside and foster face-to-face social interactions. Moreover, Religious leaders can incorporate teachings on mindfulness, self-discipline, and responsible stewardship of technology into their spiritual guidance, helping young people to cultivate a healthy relationship with digital media. Some observers say that in spite of its promising potential, artificial intelligence, AI, actually presents potential for abuse by, say, some non-democratic governments. With AI, authoritarian regimes have this tool which has great capacity for digital surveillance, monitoring of citizens, and even malicious software. Is there anything that can be done by individuals or society to protect themselves in such cases? Yes, individuals and civil society organizations can take proactive measures to safeguard against AI abuse by authoritarian regimes. For example, they can advocate for legislation and regulations that protect digital rights, privacy, and uh, freedom of expression. Tools like virtual private networks, VPNs, 
and uh, encrypted messaging apps like Telegram can help individuals circumvent government surveillance and uh, censorship. Moreover, international collaboration and solidarity among democratic nations can amplify efforts to hold oppressive regimes accountable for AI misuse and uh, human rights violations. Education and awareness are key to the advent of AI. What would you be saying? What would be your advice to those who work in education or in schools? What needs to be taught in order to ensure that young people or even the general public are prepared for the potential benefits as well as the risks of AI? Educators have a vital role in preparing students for AI-driven future by fostering critical thinking, creativity, and uh, ethical decision-making skills. For example, integrating AI literacy into the curriculum can help students understand how AI works, its societal impacts, and ethical considerations. Projects like Google's AI for Social Good initiative provide educational resources and tools for teaching AI concepts in schools. By empowering students to become responsible AI users and innovators, educators can equip them to navigate the opportunities and challenges of the digital age effectively. Father Paul Samasumo, these examples, comparisons, and statistics illustrate the multifaceted nature of AI and its implication for society, including the church and education. I hope they, they provide a comprehensive perspective on these complex issues. Thank you. Father John Congolo, thank you very much for your time. Please do not get tired of us. We will come back again knocking on your door. Father Joel Congolo, Claration Priest, Congolese Priest working in Nigeria. You have been listening to Family with Father Paul Samasumo. This is the Africa Service of Vatican Radio and I am Kanyanta Godfrey Kampamba. Praised be Jesus Christ. Laudetu Jesus Christus. Oh, oh, oh.